welcome to Rescue Replay. My name is Kala and I'm your host. We are on episode 10. I'm so thrilled for us to be here. I feel like this is a little mini milestone because my I feel I set my first milestone at episode 21 because I read a stat that most podcasts kibosh, crash and burn, die before episode 21. So we are well on our way. Thank you for all your continued support. I'm starting to get some things coming in and it feels really good. It's very encouraging for me to keep going. And trust me, I question myself on this almost on the daily. I ask myself, what the hell do you think you're doing? But here we are anyways, and I'm having a good time and I'm getting some good feedback. So we'll just keep on going. So last week's episode... You had a real treat, coffee and a bullshit with my bestie from Alberta. Um, You know, and I really feel for her because when I finally ended my relationship with my abuser, she really kind of opened up and was like, that was the hardest thing I have ever done in my entire life. And it wasn't like a year or two years or a month or whatever. It was six years. And she had slowly seen me dwindle. And I kind of wish that we had talked a little bit more about the things that she noticed in me from an outsider's perspective to try and help you identify some of the signs so that we can try and help others like not be as exposed to this kind of behavior. But really when it comes down to it, everybody's got to figure out things in their own time. I had to go through all of that in order to get to where I am. And it's you know, it's that classic age old, like, oh yeah, everything for a reason, but truly, you know, and it really helped me find my faith as well. Because afterwards, the way Vancouver adopted me, it was so crazy. I, so I had left my abuser and I was in Brittany's house. She had her, her husband and her, my nephews took me in and I was living in her basement, you know, women in her 30s, you know, living in a basement bedroom of her best friend's family, having just left an abuser, didn't feel too hot myself, like felt pretty low in, you know, the self-esteem area. I could barely go on. Like I was so broken and I felt so empty on the inside because I, I think I had known all along that I wasn't okay but I didn't know really what the culprit was, or I did, and I really didn't want to admit it, which is completely possible. But the way Vancouver adopted me after and the way things laid themselves out, it's unmistakable, it's unimaginable to me that, you know, people don't have a faith, an unwavering, blind faith. And you can have... You do your faith however it suits you, it fits you. But an unwavering, blind faith is so detrimental to a fulfilled and peaceful life. So when I left my abuser, it was the end of November. And about a week later, my contact in Vancouver was like, are you sure you don't want to come out for the Christmas season? Because I I had told them that I wanted to stay at home with my family this Christmas and I wanted to 
build my family and whatever because that's what I wanted with my partner. And um, yeah, he messaged me and I was like, actually, I do want to come out. I will come out full time, stack me, load me up as much as you can. And I will commit from December 19th until January 20th or something like that. It was a month. And he was like, okay, great. You're, you're in. Same, like, we'll see you December 19th. And he's like, do you want Christmas Day off? Or, well, everybody had Christmas Day off. And he's like, what about Christmas? Do you need a couple of days off? Or are you, you going to fly the man out in, and spend Christmas in Vancouver? And I said, well, it, it's just me. It's going to be just me and my dog. Nobody else is, is around anymore. And he was like, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. And he kind of was like, yeah, you know, when I was really heartbroken, I just threw myself into work and it was like a solid year of just grinding. And that's kind of where I'm at right now. I'm starting to come out of the grind because I feel like my healing is really good, but or it's getting better. So that just magically fell in my lap. I didn't have to try. I didn't have to look. He just, out of the blue, messaged me, yes, I want work, and away to Vancouver I went. And my time in Vancouver was creeping up, and I was telling some of my coworkers in the Lower Mainland, I was like, I don't want to go back. I have nothing to go back to. I have family to go back to, and I have friends there. It's not nothing. They're extremely important to me, but... For where I was at in my life and where I wanted to be with my career, I had no reason to go back. And I was like, well, I don't want to go back. I want to stay. And so again, he contacted me and was like, hey, I was just looking. I've got some more work. Like, would you like to stay? Would you like to stay longer? And I said, yes. Actually, I didn't say yes right away. That is a lie. This is and this is the crazy part of how this is when Vancouver officially adopted me. I was on my way to White Rock. No, Tawasin. I was on my way to Tawasin. I love the beach there. It's amazing. Out by the ferry, it's one of the most amazing beaches I've seen. So I was driving out to Tawasin one night to go and watch the sunset with Zeppelin. And he had texted me this. And I didn't respond. And I had called my mom and I was like, hey, mom, this just happened and I'm not sure what to do about it. You know, because I felt bad. I didn't want to leave my bestie. I, you know, I had people that I wanted to come home and be there for, my nephews and such. And she was like, Kelly, you have to. And I was like, but what about everybody else? And she's like, you have to. You have to go. If you, if any part of you wants to do that, you have to go. And I was like, I think you're right, mom. Like, I don't want to come back. I want to stay here. I feel good here. And she's like, then do that. Everybody else will understand. And I said, okay. And so I texted him back right away. And I said, yes, I will take that extra work and I will stay. And the crazy part is, okay, pause there for a second. If you don't know me, and I've, I haven't expressed this part about myself yet, I am extremely connected to the animal kingdom. I've done a lot of sweat lodges with um, the Sutina and the Lakota Nation. And in the Native tradition, First Nations traditions, like very original traditions, 
they would take peyote and they would go into the forest and the animals would be their messengers and they would call animals their medicines. So if they were presented with a, or if a bear crossed their path, that was bear medicine was their totem. And that was where they got their names from and such. So animals had a really big influence. And if you look at the laws of nature and the great spirit and everything, it totally makes sense. I'll let you look into it. I could really talk about it for a long time. I'm so passionate when it comes to animals. I have never had a negative encounter with any animal. And I fully, truly, whole soulfully believe it's because I'm so interconnected into their purpose that they feel that from me. And we can have share experiences in each other's presences because of that. So I had texted Michael and my Vancouver contact and said, yes, I'll take this extra work. And I was driving out to Twas and put my phone down and I looked up and there was an eagle sleeping in the tree. And right away in my mind, this saying, the eagle has landed, just like flashed in my brain. And it was like, okay, if that's not a message from up above, whatever you regard that as, spirit, universe, the divine, God, Jesus, Allah, all, however it feels good to you, if that wasn't a message from up above, I don't know what was. For me, that was a really hard hitting moment. And that was when I think I really knew that it was time to start following instead of leading. And I think as people, we try and lead our lives our own way and we try and like beat to our own drum rhythm, whatever, and do our own things, form our own opinions, which is, you know, and, and try and make ourselves unique. And I think that we are all very unique. And I think opinions are important and intellect is important. But I think we don't give ourselves enough credit for how unique we already are on the inside. We go out and we try and like put our uniqueness on the outside. But really everything is on the inside. And all that all you need to do in order to unleash this is to create a safe space for each other so that we feel safe in expressing ourselves in whichever way feels good to us and however it feels good to us you know i'm i come from a very traditional background and with relation in regards to relationships i have a very traditional outlook on relationships you know like I don't really think that men should have female friends and women should have male friends outside of their confines of their relationship. I don't, it doesn't feel good to me. That's not what I would do to my partner. I feel like out of respect for my partner, I would not want that. Um, and there's a lot of people that disagree with that. And that's fine. It's kind of like how I said in my, a couple episodes ago, in about smithers and such it would be pretty boring if we all lived the exact same way you know i've been on dates with people and they're like yeah no i'm 
I'm polyamorous. And I'm like, well, I'm very monogamous, you know, and it's, there's not a right or wrong way. It, you just live it the way that it feels good to you and honest to you. It has to be, it has to feel honest. It has to be honest. And when I saw that eagle, that felt very honest to me. That whole experience of being called to Vancouver and being called to stay in Vancouver and then having the confirmation of the eagle sleeping in a tree, that all felt very honest for me. And this is where I I planted my feet firmly and said, okay, like, I'm going to follow. I will follow and I will stop leading. There's a big power in surrender. People always think surrendering or submitting is such a negative thing, but there's a huge power to being able to bow your head and say, like, my hands are off the helm. Take over, lead me, show me, guide me. There is a huge strength and courage in that because when you do that, you no longer have any idea as to how it's going to work out. You hear people say that so commonly too. You say, I want to do this and I have no idea how it's going to work out. And then, you know, a year later, two years later, months later, weeks later, however long, you hear them saying like, yeah, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I did it. It worked by an act of faith or a miracle of God, you know, you hear these people talk this way and you hear these sayings. And what I find really interesting is people just think that it's all this big coincidence. But it is that blind faith. There is, there is an energy. There is a source behind all of these moments. As I stayed in Vancouver, things just kept happening. Things just kept going well. Things just kept feeling good and I felt like it was a really healing place of refuge for me and here I am still. I'm still loving it and I think oh, I will stay here for the next little while anyways and we'll see, we'll see what life brings in the next chapter. I wanted to touch on something else though. In my previous episode with my bestie, we were talking a lot about body positivity and I had a moment today where it was like, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about. Um, so we talked about how we normalize the conversations of overweight ladies wanting to lose weight. Like we've normalized that kind of part of body positivity, you know, and we've done all these things to try and accommodate that. But we don't normalize it the other way with when high performance athletes start seeing changes in their body or people who are quite slight start seeing changes in their body. It's also the same amount of, I don't want to, I won't say the same because it's not the same, but it is a similar feeling of displeasure and dis-ease in your appearance and in your own skin. I'm quite a slight person. I'm very active. I have always been active. I've never been a high performance athlete. So for me, because I work so hard, it's like I like to also feature it. There's a there's clothing that I'm comfortable in that others might not be comfortable in. 
and I find myself to be a very respectful dresser, but I also find myself to, you know, sometimes I will wear crop tops and show my midriff and, you know, I've got a pretty chiseled stomach. So it feels good to me because that takes hard work. Like I work out every day, every day. I maybe miss one day every two to three weeks because I'm traveling, but I don't normally make a habit out of missing days. I've maybe missed three days in the last three months. And I just do calisthenics. Like I just do push-ups, sit-ups, pull-ups, and air squats. Like I don't do anything crazy, things that are manageable. And I swim once a week and I bike once a week and I walk my dog every day and I stretch. You know, so I'm not out there crazy. I don't do pre-workout and overload my system. I don't drink protein shakes. I eat all my protein. Protein is basically all that I eat, protein and fat. Um, No carbs for me. (laughs) Well, maybe the odd donut or cake or sometimes a cookie, but definitely not a habit of eating carb. I feel pretty good about the shape and the status of my body. So I sometimes I like to wear clothes that feature it a little bit more, more flattering. Brittany and I had said that when I'm out, I sometimes make a conscious effort to not make eye contact especially with other men because if men have are accompanied by their girlfriend or their wives and we make eye contact or if he checks me out and I notice then oftentimes I'll get dirty looks from the female so that's really the attention that I don't want it's never my intention to make other women feel bad about themselves or feel like they aren't as good as me because that's not the case and if you think about it we give other people credit we'll judge them on their outside appearance so often and we'll give them credit for something that (laughs) they really don't deserve so when ladies are looking at me with jealous eyes they're giving me credit that I don't deserve I don't deserve that jealous credit they had no idea that it took six years of being in an abusive relationship to turn my life around, you know, because when I was with my abuser, I did not work this hard on my body. I was so exhausted with just trying to like survive and trying to emotionally be okay that I didn't have any extra time or energy or want or desire to put any more effort into my body. My relationship drained so much from it took so much from me emotionally and mentally it is a wild thing to look back on and reflect on so when these ladies give me jealous looks or they i'm receiving that energy in some capacity i think to them or i think like man if they only knew because once you start opening up about your story all of those prejudgments just fall off and people are you know, jaws drop and they're like, oh my God, I'm so happy that you're out of it. I'm so, and it's like, yeah, it, you know, but I shouldn't have to explain my life story for somebody to look at another human being and think, I'm happy that you're happy with where you're at right now. Whatever it took for you to get there, I'm happy for you. Everybody has a story. We don't always get to know what their story is either. With the jealous looks and such, Brittany had said, sometimes it's it's looks of admiration. Yeah, and that's really nice to receive that. I don't take care of myself for those looks or for those kind of purposes 
it is nice to to see and to feel that but i would say that that is a lot less common at least in my case or at least from my experience and today a moment or an experience happened we i shared a moment with another lady we were talking about working out and whatever and she looks good i think she's a great lady she's got a big heart and she's a wonderful spirit and she had said yeah sometimes like when i'm in workout classes like i don't always just want to be looking at the teachers like six pack abs and you know it's supposed to be motivating but you know and then she kind of looked down at herself and indicated that it wasn't motivating it was discouraging because you know of jealousy and envy and such that she was feeling and it's like that is the common conception that people have about themselves is oh it must be nice to be so thin it must be nice to be so fit it must be nice and i wish people understood what it took for us to a get there and b stay there because I don't always feel like working out. I don't always feel like getting up at 5.30. I don't always feel like making my breakfast and making my lunch and making steak and, and different things for me to eat. I don't feel like, it's not about what you feel like doing. It's about doing what you know you need to do, even if you don't wanna do it. You know, and you look at people like Jocko Willink or David Goggins, it's not about what you want to do. It's about what you have to do. You decide what's important to you. If being physically fit is important to you, you do that. If being well-read is important to you, you do that. If being flexible is important to you, you do that. The problem is, is people don't make their choices that important to them. So maybe it's um, they came out of COVID and, you know, they were stuck inside. They were on the couch, this, that, whatever. Oh, I gained a bunch of weight. I need to lose some weight. I need to get back into shape. Okay, yeah, that would be great. It's a great way to live life. It's very beneficial in lots of ways. But are you just saying that or are you actually going to make that important? Are you actually going to take that action? Because people say things all the time without with no action and that's a very dangerous way to live extremely dangerous that's how you hurt people that's how you hurt yourself and that's how life passes you by by saying you're going to you're going to you're going to and you never do okay some people are like no i'm going to i'm starting tomorrow and then they start and they do a second day and they do a third day and they do a fourth day, and they do a fifth day, but they miss one day, boom, right back to the beginning. Falling off the wagon, getting on the wagon, this, that, whatever. And it's super easy to be like, well, just don't fall off. You just keep going. It is so easy to say that. It is not easy to live that. My advice to you is if you are in something, or you're somewhere in your life. Of course, you're somewhere in your life. You're alive. You're listening to this episode. You're somewhere. <laughs> How intelligent of me. Wow. But let's say there's something that you've always wanted to do and you keep putting it off. First of all, you have to decide if that's authentic to you. 
if whatever it is, working out, reading more, this, that, whatever, is that authentic to what you want for yourself? Or is that maybe just an idea from an outside source that keeps muttering around inside of you? Okay, let's say it is. Good. Step one, done. Step two, you're not going to be a master at that overnight. I know you're really excited about your new journey to start your new thing, but you will not be a master of it overnight. It will take time. You will fail. You will make mistakes. You will have to reflect and you will have to grow through things. It's inevitable. Don't be afraid of it. Don't try and change it. Don't try and stop it. There's no reason. It is not beneficial. And let's say you succeed. You do stop all of the mistakes. You prevent everything. What are you learning then? Remember in the first couple of episodes, we talked about shared struggle. If we don't allow ourselves to struggle in something, we will never master it. You cannot have light without darkness. You need the darkness for the light to illuminate itself. You have to have both polarizations. You have to be able to be correct. You have to be able to be incorrect. And you have to be able to be neutral and everything in between of that in order to see whatever it is that you're embarking on from all perspectives. And this is where your faith comes in, your blind faith. You say, I want to do this. You drop all controlling, all, all planning, all whatever it is pertaining to that. And you say, show me the way. You say, guide me. You say, lead me. Okay, so let's, let's make a really good easy peasy example. You want to start working out every day. You want to lose weight. You want to gain muscle. You want to bulk. You want to cut, whatever it is. You, you want to start getting more fit. So tomorrow is day one, okay? Day one starts. You've decided I'm going to do push-ups, pull-ups, and or push-ups, sit-ups, and air squats. Perfect. So for your first round of push-ups, maybe you have to put your knees down and you can only do three. Good. Do that. That's three more than doing zero, okay? Crunchies. Let's say you can only do 10, and 10 is a struggle. Good for you. Do that because that's 10 more crunchies, not scrunchies, not hair ties, 10 more crunchies than zero. Now you're on your air squats. Let's say you do 15 air squats and your legs are burning and they're shaking. Good. Do that because that's 15 more air squats than zero. Then let's say maybe the next day. You do two push-ups with your knees down, five crunchies, and 10 air squats. Perfect. That's more than zero. So day one, you did lots. Day two, you did less. And a lot of people will stop right there and think, I'm not good enough. I can't even do what I did yesterday. No, don't go there. Don't allow yourself to think like that. You do what you're capable of that day. Okay. Do you think I do the exact same amount of reps, repetitions, this, that, whatever every day? No, 
what I do is before I start whatever exercise it is that I'm doing, I take a deep breath and I say, how many of these is possible for me right now? And then I go until I can't go anymore. Sometimes I do 10, sometimes I do 20, sometimes I do 15. It's all more than zero. And when you start stacking all of those numbers day by day by day, it becomes a lot more than zero. It's the consistency of the act. It's not the amount of the act. It's the consistency. You must not get discouraged when you do less than the day before. It doesn't mean that you are not good enough. It means that life is happening. And you can take that principle and apply it to almost everything in your life. I read 15 pages one day. I read two pages the other day. That doesn't mean I'm bad at reading. It means that the day that I only read a few pages, I had a lot of other things on my mind. I was tired. I was overworked. I was underworked, whatever it was. It just meant that my capacity to read that day happened to be two pages and not 10. It's okay for your capacities to fluctuate. That's normal. That's the natural ebb and flow of life. And I think this is where a lot of people start quitting on themselves is because they think that they have to do the exact same amount or more to get better. You only have to be 1% better than you were the day before to be better than the day before. And if you just do 1% every day in a year, that's 365%. That's compounded interest. We all know the benefits of compounded interest. It works the same with our habits. These are all habits that you can cultivate. Every one of you has the power to cultivate these habits. You just have to decide which habits you want to cultivate, and you just have to grit your teeth and do it. And if you're creating excuses and, oh, I'm too tired, oh, I'm this, oh, I'm that, you know what? One lady, a very special lady, actually, she told me sometimes our ego comes in to protect us. You first have to investigate if what you want to do is authentic to you. If it's not authentic to you, you will never start, you will never finish, you will never get anywhere. Here's a really good example. For a little bit, I was like, yeah, I'm going to be a pilot. I even told some of my students, I was like, yeah, I'm going to go get my pilot's license. I was all excited. And I'm like, yeah, career change in my 30s. You know, I've been in aquatics for 16 years. Now is, is a good time to do a career change. And I thought being a pilot was a great idea. And, you know, everybody was like, yeah, that's so cool. Good for you. Like, wow, way to go. Yeah, awesome. And I'm like, yeah, this is great. And I, a pilot school, a flight school, landed in my lap, a private one, a friend of a friend. And I called this lady and I was like, hey, I'm interested in being a pilot. Do you think I could come by and chat with you? And she said, yeah, absolutely. Why don't you come here and I'll come and meet you at the gate, la, la, la. And so I did. And I spent about an hour and a half with this lady just talking about the books, the process, the planes. I got to sit in the plane. I got to take a walk around the hangar and everything. 
And I walked away from that knowing that a, being a pilot is not my dream. <laughs> the idea of it sounded so great. And we're so like that as people, we get so many ideas and we're like, yeah, I could do it this way. I could do it that way. Yeah, this is great. I think I want to do this. I think I want to do that. And then we get so overwhelmed with all the ideas. We don't end up exploring them and we don't end up starting half of them. And one of them might be the idea, like our passion, but it, when we have so much, so many ideas, we kind of have this overload and we don't end up starting on anything. So I was really grateful for that experience, actually, because I realized that sometimes the things that you think you really want are only a scapegoat. Because I also realized that, you know, changing my entire career was another face, another mask of like emotional trauma healing. I was just hiding and running. I was scapegoating um, some deep buried pain. So once I figured out that being a pilot wasn't what I wanted, I didn't have that excitement to put my energy towards. So then my energy went towards what was actually happening. You want to be aware of what is authentic to you. And the only way that you get to know what is authentic to you is you talk to yourself on the inside and you're honest with yourself. Jordan Peterson says, says this and it's really great. I might have already quoted this one. This is one of my favorites from Jordan Peterson. He says, tell the truth or at least don't lie. That's a start. So it's really hard to actually tell the truth if you think about it. And our communication style is so conforming like, no, not conforming like, but it's all about pleasantries and obligations and these obligatory, meaningless conversations. Like, for example, have you ever been like somebody said like hey how's it going oh good how are you but you're walking past each other it's like that's a pretty big question to ask somebody hey how are you i'm good how are you <laughs> that's those that's a big question to ask someone while you're walking past them and i think i maybe described this too in one of my other episodes i don't engage in obligatory pleasantry conversations it's meaningless to me. If I don't care about how you are, I'm not going to ask. If I am going to ask, I want to make sure that I have time to listen because it's an honest question. It's hard being honest. It's hard being authentic because there are some times where the answer is just a straight up no. I had this gentleman, he was trying to date me, this, that, whatever, and I kept telling him, no, 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 I wasn't interested. And in a front of a class once, he had asked, uh, I'm flying to Seattle. Would you like to drive me to the airport? And I was just like, no, no, period. That is a complete sentence. And it's hard to get there. You don't get to just be honest. You don't get to just say, oh, I'm going to be honest from now on. And you just get to be honest. You have to practice not lying first. You might be thinking, well, isn't that just the same thing? No, you have to catch yourself every time you lie about something. Every time you lie. Anything that is not the exact truth is a lie. You know we all white lie out of obligatory pleasantry conversations. 
once you start catching yourself in all of your white lies, then you can practice being authentic and being honest. Because now you know where and how you lie and why you lie, hopefully. You are already unique. You have unique interests. You have a unique energy. You have a unique sense of style. You have a unique presentation. So communicate that way. Communicate in a way that makes sense for you. Conformity is shoved down our throats starting at kindergarten. There's this great movie. It's called The Dead Poets Society. I did a philosophy study on it back in high school. Actually, that was probably the only class that I ever really paid attention was philosophy and legal studies and psychology. Those three topics always had me like in, engaged and interested. Anything else I could care less about. English was pretty good because English and philosophy are basically the same course, let's be honest. Everything else I could care less about. So once one day in English class, my or philosophy class, my philosophy teacher, her name was Ms. Hunter. She was a really great teacher. She was what a teacher should be. She challenged the way that you thought and she expanded your horizons to be cheesy and corny. But she definitely challenged me. So one of the movies we did a philosophy study on was called The Dead Poets Society. It's a Robin Williams movie. I highly recommend it. Extremely deep and poetic. It is a melodramatic film, so there's not a lot of action. It's very drama-like. But it's all about being able to think freely. These boys are in a boarding school, and they kind of have to follow the their father's footsteps in dentistry, doctor, lawyer, you know, that kind of environment. One thing he says in this movie, there's this scene, they're out in the courtyard and these boys are walking around in a circle. And you know, when you're walking with someone, naturally you fall into rhythm with them and your steps start being the same. Well, that's what happens. And Robin Williams like, ah, there it is. And he's like, conformity, the need to belong, the need to be the same. We all have this human need to belong. And that is why community is such a huge factor in a happy lifestyle. Is because we all have this need to belong. In the midst of that, it's difficult to maintain your own beliefs in the face of others. And I think if you listen to my Smithers episode, it really outlines it well. Because there I was in a group of four girls and I felt like I had really found a community. But my community totally did not have my back. You know, and it was hard for me to express myself in my community because of our differences of, of opinion. And even now I catch myself saying like, oh no, I can't say that too loudly. People will be upset that I said that. And it's like, whoa. <laughs> Since when? Well, I know since when, but it's hard to be your own person because you're going to have critics. Somebody is going to demonize you for what you think, and that's just the way it is. It doesn't matter whether you're left, you're right, you're up, you're down, you're black, you're white, you're straight, you're gay. Somebody will demonize you. It's inevitable. There is a saying out there that says you're not 
famous until you have your first critic, something like that. And it's like, yeah, when people start to hate you, that means that you're really starting to hit the scenes and make a difference because now you have critics, which I thought was a really positive way to look at your, at your critics. I think the main factor for me in leading my, no, not leading my own life, but in living my own life and not conforming is trusting in my faith. And whenever I'm troubled or struggled or worried, I just bow my head and I say, guide me, lead me, show me the way. I don't know what to do right now. Lead me, show me. And lo and behold, it always works out. It always comes full circle. And nine times out of ten, whatever it was that you were worried about, there was no reason to worry about it at all. If you draw from a place of trust and faith from your inside, from your core, however it makes sense and feels good to you, if you can draw from that, and put yourself forward in your life. You will always have your back looked out for. And you will always progress. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for continuing on this journey with me. And thanks for your support. This is Rescue Replay. Out.